Hi, I'm Laura Brady, CEO of Concierge Auctions. And hi, I'm Chad Roffers, Chairman of Concierge Auctions. And this is Block Talk. We have a good lineup for you today. I have three panelists with me coming live at you from New York City, Peter, Sean, and Tao. So we're very excited today to speak with you about the state of the luxury real estate market worldwide and then hone in on New York City and an extremely unique one-of-a-kind property that we have coming up for auction at 150 Central Park South. Peter, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and your involvement in this? I'm Peter Pelsensky. I'm uh, one of the founding partners uh, at Span Architecture, uh, an architecture practice-based uh, in New York. We're a studio that's been around since 1995 of uh, 16 uh, super talented designers, furniture makers, designers, really. Most of our work is primarily in the residential sphere um, and primarily in New York. So we have a kind of deep understanding of kind of high-end residential work in the city uh, and around the world. But primarily, that's the, the kind of stuff that we do, which is how we came to be a part of this project. My name is Sean Elliott. And I consider myself a global agent. And the reason I say global is because I practice ultra luxury real estate, not only in New York City, but also in South Florida, Miami, Palm Beach, as well as um, Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Malibu, uh, the West Coast as well. And um, I was brought into this project a couple of years ago when it was first um, just an idea. And I have to say, that in my 18 years of practicing real estate, I have never seen a more iconic um, property in New York City history. I mean, to me, 150 Central Park South is the most iconic triplex penthouse to hit the market uh, in New York's in New York's history. So you're working on this assignment with Cal. So we're uh, um. Almost 15 years in the business, I deal with uh, luxury apartments and commercial real estate on the high end, dealing mainly with new developments, so selling uh, multiple units in new, new properties, new projects in the city, and that's why we're so connected to this, uh, to this project, because it's a very, very unique and interesting project. Uh, never seen something like this before. The architectural design, everything that goes around it, the views. So we're very, very excited about this one. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, Tal. Thank you for being with us, too. We're going to be talking about state of the market in New York City, this property in particular, 150 Central Park South, and how we can, how you can get involved for the auction that is upcoming to bid on the property. Um, we're going to close out with some strategy about the auction itself and the steps to bidding if you or your client are interested in that. And the webinar panel, if you haven't been in GoToWebinar before, you should have on your screen a control panel. There's the ability for you to chat or ask questions in there. We will be watching that and I'll be able to hopefully interject some of the chat real time. We'd love to make this an interactive session. Um, but if we're not able to get to your question immediately, we do have our team also on the back end uh, consolidating all the questions for us to leave some time for Q&A afterwards for the questions that we haven't been able to get to in real time. 
At Concierge Auctions, we are a global real estate auction firm. So really what we do is we specialize in matching really unique properties with buyers around the world. So specifically properties like this one we're talking about today that are difficult to value, one of a kind, and the asking price is really unknown, right? What What is the right price for a property like this that there are no comparables for? So those types of properties do very well in our platform. Um, we've been in business for over 12 years and have operated thus far in 29 countries and 41 states. So we continue to grow in our reach and are thrilled that you're on this call with us today um, and would love you know, for you to get involved with this sale, or if not, to continue watching other opportunities that we have upcoming. Um, just a couple other points about our business. We have never sold a property without a listing agent involved. So we really see ourselves as a tool to the real estate community. In fact, I and my co-founder, Chad, as well as a lot of other members of our team grew out of the real estate community. So we know um, what you know, the real estate industry is all about. And we see ourselves again as a tool to help accelerate the sale of really unique properties in cooperation with the agents. So as is the case here with Sean and Tal, we have listing agent partnership as well as offering a brokerage commission to the buyer's representing agent. So I always think that that's really important to voice um, to make sure that everyone knows we're cooperating fully and actually really appreciate the client's representation in our transactions really helps to help buyers and sellers feel comfortable in the transaction and the prices that are being achieved and uh, bids that are being made in our auctions. So most of our auctions have a 30-day contingency-free closing. Um, the case with this one, it's contingency-free as well, meaning that any investigation into the property, any diligence needs to be performed ahead of the bidding at the auction because there is not a financing contingency or inspection period after the auction date. So wanted to point that out. So with that said, rules of the road behind us, let's get going and talking about New York. Um, Sean, I'd love for you to just give us some insight into what you're seeing in the state of the market in New York. I, obviously, this year has been one like we've never seen before, um, a lot of change. Um, but I know that we continue to see very healthy market, at, especially at the ultra high end clients who are looking to invest in real estate at this time. Can you talk about how that's impacted New York? Sure. So I think that the home has never been more important um, in history than the home is today. Um, whether it's single family or living vertical as we do in New York City, um, home has never been more important. And we all know the reasons why. One of them, we're spending more time at home than ever. In fact, um, not only are we spending more time at home than ever, the homes are becoming more generational as well. So that you'll find in, in a typical home in New York City, You'll find maybe grandparents with their children um, and their grandchildren. So you'll find that people are seeking out larger properties in New York as we speak. Plus, uh, I think a very important fact about New York City is that a lot of people are now working from home and need homes that have home offices. And that's becoming very prevalent, uh, especially a property like this with you know multiple bedrooms and when you're talking about a 10,000 square foot property, there's a place for everybody 
and as a place to work for home. And for children, there's a place to study and, and, um, and work from home as well. So in the ultra luxury space, which is kind of what I do, we've never seen anything quite like this before. Uh, it's the demand is tremendous. And we know real estate comes, comes down to two things, right? Supply and demand. Um, the supply doesn't exist and the demand is outstanding. So when properties come to market, and I'm talking about properties 5,000 square feet and up, they move very quickly and they actually move either at market value or right now I'm feeling above market value. Uh, townhouses, penthouses, uh, brownstones, anything luxury, anything special, um, and there's always a limited amount of that is moving like crazy. So in regard to this property, I think it offers the potential buyer just so much that this property speaks to exactly what's happening in New York City today. In addition, to give you some recent numbers, uh, I think it was 411, 411 Central Park South just had a sale of the penthouse of $50 million. There have been multiple sales in 432 Park, 29 million uh, net seekers responsible for that sale. 28 million net seekers was responsible for that sale. Um, 220 Central Park South, another big one recently uh, in the $50 million range. And this is all during the pandemic. This is all now um, where, where people think that New Yorkers are fleeing the city. Um, that's not all New Yorkers. There's, there's a lot of business, a lot of commerce, and a lot of reasons why you, you need to be in New York. And if you're going to be in New York, you might as well live in style. That's right. And a lot of people seeing opportunity, even if they're not there in person right now, to you know be purchasing these really one-of-a-kind properties in a city that we know is always going to have you know cachet and attention from around the world. Peter, you were going to add something there. Oh, well, I was going to second. I, I totally kind of concur with what Sean's pointed out. And to kind of add to it, um, you know, we're seeing again, this notion of home has become uh, more important because it's an expanding definition because it's, you know, our homes have become our workplaces. They've become the places where our kids go to school. You know, it's like there's many, many functions that the home has kind of uh, kind of been, you know, has accumulated uh, over the past year. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting is um, exterior space. I mean, you know, exterior space in New York City obviously is, um, it exists in the public realm and for, you know, kind of, at, I would say for the, you know, at that ultra um, high end, you know, for townhouses, for certain units, exterior space can be had, but for many New Yorkers, you know, it's hard to come by. And I think it's been more fully appreciated uh, in the last year, uh, having kind of private exterior space where you can send your, your kids can go play outside and you don't have to worry about it if they're going to run into their, uh, you know, their best friend uh, from down the street. I think exterior space has never been more valuable in New York City than it is uh, right now. Um, uh, so, you know, again, when we look, I'm looking at the screen right now and I'm, I'm looking at Central Park, which which is amazing, but I'm also looking at this little sliver, uh, you know, of this amazing terrace that uh, kind of belongs to this unit and contemplating how kind of really valuable that is right now. And say one more thing that New York City, we all know it's got 8 million people and I don't know, maybe it's 10 square miles, but there's just a limited amount of trophy, like real trophy properties. And this is, in, 
I can count the amount of trophy properties on one hand, and this is one of them. And whether we're in a great economy, we're in a bad economy, we're in a pandemic, um, something like this only comes along once in a lifetime. And I think that's the value. And the lucky person to secure this property will have a very special piece of New York and a very special piece of New York history. And once they own that, um, I think the value continues to go up because, again, this is true trophy. And like I said, I can count true trophy on one hand in New York City. Absolutely. You teed this up perfect for, perfectly for me, Sean, because I'm actually going to get into next. Let's see a video of the property. And actually, as we watch this video, perhaps, Peter, you could talk about your visualization when you first saw the property and how that this came to be, because this video that I'm going to tee up here shows a walkthrough of how this whole unit is structured. Let's see if I can put it. Can you see it okay? We can. We're looking at Hampshire House. This is 150 Central Park South. We're uh, approaching it from the north. You can see that there's this rooftop that we're kind of re-inhabiting with a triplex, well, really four floors of space. Um, taking that mansard roof, which is this gorgeous uh, copper uh, roof, and then adding all of these kind of grand windows to it. We're in the atrium right now, looking through a kind of triple height space with the stairwell. Um, and then kind of this tour shows us the kind of uh, the way the spaces are connected. You can see there's like these outstanding views in every dimension and every, uh, we're looking east right now, to the north, to the south. There's an enormous curtain wall um, that faces the south toward Midtown. We have the spectacular deck that faces Central Park front and center, smack in the middle of uh, Central Park, like no other view that you've ever seen of Central Park. And it's a unique apartment. It's not a cookie cutter space at all. Like, you really do feel like you're kind of, you know, in the kind of confines of this, uh, of this amazing roof line with views that kind of extend in every uh, direction. So here's the, uh, the back of the uh, curtain wall that I've mentioned. You can see how it lights up at night. The rooftop is this kind of iconic piece of the skyline of New York, much like Chrysler Building, like the Empire State. It's a building that you see from every point in Central Park. You see it from many, many points in the South. You can't check your weather uh, app without seeing it. So it really is this kind of part of the iconography of the New York City uh, skyline. So with that, I will uh, turn it over. Beautiful. And you just very smoothly walked us through that in real time. Awesome. Tal, can you speak up maybe a little bit about the unit two? I'm going to go to some additional um, photos of it. And I know you're just on audio, but maybe talk about the interest that we've received thus far and what type of buyer you think that this property would speak towards? Basically, we got a ton of interest so far. Um, my email inbox is full of uh, interest and questions from buyers and interested to know every little detail about this place, every corner in this building. The photos and the renderings and the view is a jaw-dropping design that Peter did to this uh, apartment that's located basically in the center of Central Park. It's an icon property basically that whoever is going to own it is going to be one of the only owners or maybe the only one in the city who's going to have something at that magnitude. Uh, the foyer, the, the massive windows, the everything, the, the wow factor in this apartment, all the terraces, it's basically 
uh, breathtaking from from the design and even if you go there right now before it's even built you're like wow i'm not living here so this is uh the interest here is crazy we're getting a lot of emails we're getting a lot of questions as i mentioned and we're just looking forward to see who's going to be the lucky winner and who's who's going to go for it Thanks, Tal, for sure. So we have gotten great a great deal of interest for facilitating showings as well as we have all of these visual assets to be able to send to anyone who might not be in New York City in person. Um, so there still is plenty of time to get involved if you'd like to. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the potential of completing the unit pursuant to the amazing design that Peter's put together. Um, maybe one of you can weigh into what are the steps to get that done. I know it's already been bonded, everything's already complete. And upon completion, we already have an appraisal for $100 million. So Sean, could you weigh into maybe the steps that the buyer can take to finish this? So I think it's more Peter, but what I would tell you is that um, depending upon what you pay, when the hammer goes down at auction, uh, we've been getting estimates. Um, we have three estimates actually from three different contractors, anywhere from fifteen million to twenty million dollars to complete it. And that fifteen to twenty million dollars is really up to the buyer, um, the level of finish, the level of materials they want to use, um, even down to the mechanicals. And so. Whatever that number is, uh, initially at the auction, when the hammer goes down, plus that 15 to $20 million, and I don't know what that number could be. It could be 60, it could be 65 million. I don't know, it could be 50 million, 45. We don't know the number. Immediately upon completion, there's no doubt in my mind that you're looking at probably something worth anywhere from 7,000 a square foot to maybe 10,000 a square foot. And based on the fact that this unit is approximately 10,000 square feet, you're looking at a retail value of 70 to $100 million. So there's a lot of money to be made. And really, at the end of the day, it probably isn't about the money necessarily for this particular buyer. Again, it's, only, it's owning an incredible piece of New York City and its history, again, the Hampshire House has a lot of history. A lot of iconic people have lived there, celebrities, and so on. You automatically, the day you finish this product, you build a tremendous amount of equity, and you get to enjoy it. The one thing we haven't spoken about, which I'd like to add, is that when our client was negotiating the purchase of the 37 and the space on 38 and 39, they negotiated with the co-op board for the exact same fees, right, Tax in, taxes, common area, all that, as it would be just for the uh, 37th floor. As a result, we've been told, and you can do uh, your own due diligence, that it's approximately $5,000 per month, which is a total of $60,000 a year to own this asset. Now, whether you're from New York City um, or you're from you know, outside New York or even outside the U.S., London, right, Asia, Middle East, to own something that's 10,000 square feet in New York City 
with an annual cost of $60,000 is insane. Um, we have clients the Sherry Nettleland, another iconic property above uh, Cipriani's right down the block, also Central Park South. And I have a client with a two-bedroom in the Sherry Nettleland, and he's paying $20,000 a month um, for the luxury of, of owning that property. So I, I think this is a, a, a two-fold sort of opportunity, uh, actually threefold. One, owning the ultimate trophy. Two, building equity uh, overnight. And three, not having a, a, a huge amount of uh, expense to carry this property. So if I'm a billionaire or I'm a successful guy, and I am most successful, we'll call it, we'll call them billionaires for the moment, um, own multiple properties in multiple cities throughout the world. Uh, this one would be a no-brainer. Well, one thing I would add to that uh, is um, time is always, New York City is an enormously complicated place to um, do renovation work in. There's many kind of authorities that we, uh, as architects and, you know, as clients answer to. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of listed here is this notion of a shovel-ready uh, design. I thought we could dive into that a little bit. Really, um, one of the assets of this property is that it's been approved um, by the co-op, which is the governing board of the building um, at 150 uh, Central Park South. It's been approved by the New York City Department of Buildings. We've cleared all hurdles at the New York City Department of Landmarks. Um, the permits are pulled. That is to say that we actually have an, a live active permit to begin work the minute that a site safety plan is done. So in reality, there's kind of two years of work or I mean, two years of like literal like standing in line at the Department of Buildings and filing, you know, all that stuff is done. So uh, really what we're looking at is um, a super condensed kind of time frame uh, to kind of complete uh, this project, which frankly is, you know, equivalent to a kind of fairly straightforward townhouse renovation uh, for the amount of time it would take, which I think is, you know, kind of an extraordinary opportunity for a project uh, of this magnitude. Great points, Peter. So when you first were told about this property, Peter, what went through your head? How did, how did you uh, find out about the project? We were actually, we were looking only at the little, we were looking at the little apartment. We were looking for a kind of like off market, like, like small off market deals that we thought were like, were interesting architecturally. And uh, as we went through this unit, we realized we couldn't find any of the like most, you know, kind of mundane items like the, the boiler, the pressure tank, all that like stuff that architects look for. And the engineer from the building said, oh, they're upstairs. And we're like, oh, you know, what upstairs? So, you know, we went down two flights of stairs and a fire stair. We went up three extra flights up a ladder. And sure enough, we emerged into this cavern of space that had like one little boiler and a little pressure tank in it. And we're like, you know, what is this? Like, and they're like, oh, this is, you know, storage. It's like been storage um, since the building was constructed in 1937. So, you know, obviously, you know, our ears pricked up and, um, you know, we, we looked into it. We, you know, in New York City, there's a complicated process, but as of right, one can convert storage and mechanical into residential if you uh, fulfill certain requirements. And, um, you know, and the rest of it really, you know, the stars kind of lined up. We, um, we had a very supportive board um, who had to approve the project. Um, the Department of Buildings approved this in principle with like this kind of nail biting 
a four hour meeting with the borough commissioner who like, you know, uh, basically signed off on it. Um, it's just, you know, it's just on, it's really, it never happens. It's like, this is like a, a it really, ne this has never happened before. So it's a kind of once in a lifetime kind of uh, story for a designer uh, or for a firm like ours to be able to be a, a part of this. And it's just, the possibilities are, are simply uh, extraordinary in the sense that we've been able to, you know, create, you know, an apartment that, you know, five years ago was 1300 square feet and now it's kind of topping out around 10. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's just remarkable. So amazing. I only imagine, or I can't actually imagine having your design mind and eye and walking in there and just being so shocked at that little jewel in the stack that is there. Well, we were lucky also, I will say we had like a very, you know, the developer of this property is like, uh, you know, really had a vision, like clearly understood the possibilities of this and, and labored really hard to kind of unlock every possible potential, every possible exterior space, every inch of square footage that we could acquire uh, to make this unit work. We even like did a about face and changed the design at a certain point to really maximize. Um, uh, so, you know, again, having a having a great client is kind of like, you know, 80% of success uh, for an architect. Absolutely. That's for sure. Well, very good partnership. And by the way, something um, for every great client, having a great architect is also um, the road to success. And uh, Peter, there's no doubt, undisputedly, you are. Thank you. Well, I can say even just for the few weeks that we've been marketing property, your partnership, yes, Peter, has been just amazing. And to have you as a resource for the next buyer is really great. And partnership with Sean and Tal for sure as well. So we have a good group going here towards the auction, which the bidding right now is scheduled to open on December 18th. So that is Friday. And so again, there still is plenty of time for new people to become involved. And if you want to schedule a time to see the property, to contact our team, um, I do want to get into some of the specifics of registering to bid, and then we can come back to the property after that and any questions as well. Um, so I have a few slides just to intro everyone who's online who may not have bid with us at concierge auctions before. Um, we have a little bit about steps to winning at auction. Um, the first few slides that I'll go through are just kind of general as to many of our bidders that are looking to bid at our auctions are first looking to narrow their search and lifestyle. Um, we say lifestyle here because most of our buyers are actually looking for a particular lifestyle as opposed to a very specific geography. Um, with that said, New York City is kind of, it's, it's one of a kind, so it doesn't as much fit in that box. Um, whereas, for example, a ranch, someone who's looking for a very unique ranch might be looking anywhere in the Rocky Mountains and not in one specific location. Um, so, after you figure out really what you're looking for, of course, researching the market. I know that here we have Sean and Tal, our resources for anyone who's interested in bidding. If you're an agent that's outside of the New York City market, then using Sean and Tal to help become more knowledgeable about values in the market and about this property in particular, I know that they're certainly available to help with that. Um, because to that point, we do have the ability in our auctions for agents to represent buyers and receive commission in a referral capacity 
either outside of the New York market. So if you have a client in your market that might be interested, definitely, you know, bring them to the table and you can still um, be a, a representative for them. Um, so after you've researched the market and get to know about the auction process, you're teeing yourself up um, for bidding. We do have three steps to registering for the auction. Um, the first is that you need to confirm your awareness and sign to the terms and conditions of the bidding. So we have that paperwork for anyone or you can sign it digitally online, as well as you have to tender a deposit um, into an escrow fund and also show either a bank contact or other financial representative that we can speak with to vet you as a bidder or your client. So every client who gets access to the bidding platform has gone through a financial vetting process to con uh, confirm the wherewithal to, to bid at the auction. Um, so after that, I do want to touch on um, Let's see, the fact that you have to do your diligence in advance, I already touched on that before. Um, any research that you want to do ahead of time, that's why we have Peter and Sean and Tal on the line. They are available, dare I say, 24-7 between now and the close of the bidding to answer any questions because we want to make sure that anyone who's bidding is as confident as they can be in knowing about this opportunity. We know that the more you know about the property, the more confident you can feel in your bid. Um, and then I'm going to get to the last section, developing an auction strategy, specifically with this property and with many of the properties that we auction also, we have an opening bid incentive. Um, I can explain that as well here. And if Peter or Sean or Tal want to weigh in this, because I know that y'all have been working with Lisa, our manager, on figuring out how to advise clients on their opening bid. Um, an opening bid incentive is a tool that we offer as the auction firm to give a, a bonus or a discount rather credit to a buyer for submitting an opening bid before they register for the auction. So when with your registration, you start bidding at a certain level. You certainly can start at zero, but you're incentivized to start higher with the opening bid incentives. I give three scenarios to the opening bid incentive. With our auctions, we have a 12% buyer premium. So the opening bid incentive on this project is 6%. So in other words, you're saving half of your of your high of your buyer premium on the amount that you submit as your opening bid. So this is the first example. We have three examples in this step. So in this instance, if the high bid were $20 million on this property, and that is an arbitrary number, we don't know what the bid is going to be. It's all based on the bidders. Um, and where it goes, but at a 12% buyer premium with no opening bid, the total proceeds that will be transferred in the sale would be 22,400,000. Is everyone tracking with me? Hopefully so. Okay, in scenario B, if you do in fact submit an opening bid, let's stick with the same $20 million high bid that is ultimately the gavel price, the fine bid at the auction. The buyer premium remains the same at 2.4 million, a 12% buyer premium. But in this instance, if you've submitted a $15 million opening bid, then you receive a discount of half of your buyer premium on that 15 million. So in other words, 6% of the 15 million, you receive a $900,000 credit for final proceeds of 22.5.
So for simply having submitted a number that you feel very confident in prior to the auction of 15 million. And then in the final example, if you actually submit your best, put your best foot forward on this one of $20 million, sorry, my highlighting is kind of going crazy there. Um, you would save half of your total buyer premium if the high bid ultimately is the $20 million bid that you started with. So your final proceeds would be 21, $21,200,000. So that's how our opening bid works. I definitely encourage you to talk with John and Tal, as well as Lisa, who is our project manager on this assignment, to strategize about an opening bid and how to maybe set yourself up from the other bidders and make sure that you're coming in um, comfortably, but also strong if you want to ultimately be the winning bidder there. Are there any questions about the OBI? Um, Sean and Tal, have you had any questions from clients as you've talked them through this or Lisa has? Or anything you know, like any? um, I think everybody's very clear on it. As a result, <laughs> it makes tremendous sense to get involved early. Um, you, you become almost, you know, what is the term called stalking horse? But I think the savings is significant. It's shown right on the screen right now to get involved early, uh, and it's possible that your bid is accepted. You're saving, in this case, $1.2 million. Everybody I have spoken to completely understands that. I'm expecting to get some registrations um, along with some opening bids as early as tomorrow. And um, yeah, this should be a great auction. Um, and whoever's ever lucky enough to win it, you know, like Tal said before, uh, owns a, a very special, a very special piece of New York history. That's a great point, Sean. The opening bid incentive you mentioned getting in early. I failed to mention that the opening bid incentive is offered to anyone who places an opening bid before the bidding begins. So if you register before the bidding opens. So there certainly is opportunity for buyers to get involved after the bidding opens. We're, I believe, going to have a three-day three window on this one. So once the bidding begins, there's still time for people to watch and see where the bidding is. And if they feel as if, you know, that's it's uh, arrived at a number that they want to get involved, then certainly can after. But to take advantage of the OBI, you need to register within the next two days. Okay, great point. Um, I'm also going to touch on the steps to bid then. Ultimately, if you go through the steps of registering, submit your opening bid incentive and, and deposit your funds in escrow, then our team will give you access to the bidding platform. So you can watch any auction that we're conducting at any time if the bidding's open on our website or on our app. And all of our auctions are fully visible to the public. So you can log in and see the bidding. Um, if, if you're not getting involved in this sale, then you can watch watch it happen as it unfolds. Um, and anyone can bid during the bidding window 24-7. If you're approved to bid, you'll get access to actually place your bids. If you're just watching the bidding, don't worry. You can't accidentally place a bid. You have to actually get access um, from our team by going through all the steps to register. So if also, if you'd like to have a dedicated person on the phone with you while Nearly all of our auctions are handled purely digitally today. If you don't feel comfortable fully doing it on your own, we can absolutely have someone on the phone with you, especially in the last 30 minutes or an hour of the bidding um, to walk you through your bidding and even place your bids on your behalf if you'd like to.
Okay. Those were all of my points. Um, I actually have a few questions that have come in that I'd like for us to get into. Um, a first one is from Ted Ivanoff. Ted asks about the carrying costs of 60000 a year. So, Sean, is this, he says, plus real estate taxes. Can you talk a little bit about the taxing in New York? So, as we all know, the taxing in New York, um, based on the density and the 8 million residents of New York City, is quite low, unlike, you know, in the suburbs. Uh, New York City, traditionally, these taxes have been extremely low. In regard to the actual taxes in the common area charge, I think, Peter, you may be more versed in the actual numbers. So if you want to share that with the uh, with our caller, feel free to do so. You know, I don't have the I don't have the number uh, on the top of my head, except to say that it's, you know, it's it's proportionately super low compared to what, uh, you know, properties of this uh, at this kind of echelon uh, would be charged. But, you know, co-ops tend to, um, you know, you're bundling up maintenance fees for the building and you're bundling up real estate taxes, right? Because a co-op is, you know, essentially a corporation. So it's different than a traditional kind of condominium uh, structure. So the, you know, the majority of the charges that one uh, has to bear as a property owner in this unit are kind of covered in that, in those common charges. Um, I believe all that stuff is in the due diligence uh, folder. I'd be happy to kind of point it out uh, uh, later on once we uh, are done. Peter, how can someone get access to the due diligence folder? Or do you want me to explain that? How, how are you, you right should. now? I think, that's, uh, <laughs> I think you're the, you're the, you're the uh, even, I defer to Lisa on that, but I think, uh, yes, you're the gatekeeper. Yeah, since you mentioned it, I was just thinking of tossing it back, but absolutely, I can take it on the website uh, on concierge If you visit any of the properties on the site and you you log into the site, so you just create credentials, then you can access any of the diligence folders. So typically with our auctions, we have the draft of the purchase contract that is going to be used after the auction that's already been put together. Um, any bidder who registers for the auction is that they feel comfortable with and have reviewed the draft purchase contract that's available. So that's really important, as well as if there are any, in this case, the building plans, um, HOA docs, um, other options, we might have inspection reports or surveys, appraisals, um, any kind of documentation that we can assemble to help you get to know more about the property, again, so that you can feel confident in your bidding. If there's anything that's not there, then you're the Property is available for access again between now and the close of the bidding, so you can conduct any additional research that you'd like. And I will say, uh, you know, uh, the the team at Concierge really understands this uh, property. My, uh, um, you know, uh, Lisa uh, Libertori, who I've been kind of working with pretty closely over the past couple of weeks as this project uh, has developed, really, you know. Uh, she has a knowledge of this property that's almost equivalent to my own at this point. I think certainly, uh, you know, uh, Sean would uh, would say the same. So, there, you know, there is a lot of knowledge floating around about this property if uh, one needs to access it. Absolutely. And so Lisa is our quarterback on this assignment. She is a very um, 
experienced manager with us and has represented properties with us all over the world. And so her being there in New York and working hand in hand with Peter and Sean and Tao, uh, she can absolutely help get you in front of the right person to answer the questions. Certainly she is the auction expert, anything that has to do about the mechanics and process of the auction. And then she'll tee you up to um, my panelists here for any property specific info anytime you'd like. Okay, great. We have another question about the opening bids. Are the opening bids confidential? And does the bidding start with the highest opener? The first question, are the opening bids confidential? They are before the auction opens, um, which leads in the second, the bidding start with the highest opener. Um, actually, that's up to the auctioneer, whether they inject all of the opening bids into the bidding um, section that shows the bids as they're placed or whether they just start with the highest opener. Um, it varies by property to property. So I'm not sure what the um, the strategy is going to be with this one, but at least you will see once the bidding opens where the high point is, you may be able to see some of the others underneath there. And then as the bidding um, pursues, I'll point out that our software does show the bidder number as well as their bid so that you can actually see the activity that's going on with each unique bidder. Um, bidders find that interesting because they want to know really how many people competing, especially at the end and, you know, how many others they're again, they're going against. Um, and we think that it's really important to show that full transparency so that you can really gauge what your strategy is and um, what the full landscape is of the, of the bitter, uh, the bitter pool, um, which actually it, it is easier. One reason that buyers appreciate the online bidding is it's easier to follow than an auction often that's in a live room, um, which can be confusing as to who's placing their bid. Am I on the bid? In, in an online scenario, you can see very clearly who's on the bid if it's you or not. Um, and we also, I'll point out, we have what we call a soft gavel. Whereas if a bid is placed and there are only seconds remaining in the auction, the auction timer will extend typically by anywhere from to five minutes to allow the next highest bidder or other bidders to decide whether they want to place a bid so that buyers can't just time, you know, placing a bid at the very last second. And then there's there may be money left on the table. We want to make sure that we get um, the best price out of all the bidders that we can. But definitely being online and watching in the last few minutes is going to be always the most exciting time. As with any auction, everyone wants to place their bids at the very end. Do we anticipate bidders from other auctions? Question mark. Um, yeah, I mean, we so we as a company at Concierge, we represent properties all over the world. And we have a lot of bidders who come in and we might meet them bidding on a property in Thailand, for example, and they might come and express interest in this property in New York. I know we've had a number of people from within our database um, express interest in this one. On average right now, about 50% of our bidders are coming out of our database. And so they have participated with us before. Um, but I know Sean and Peter and Tal, I'm sure y'all have had other people that have come forward that we didn't know before that we're excited to have them at our first auction. Um, third question, how do I reach Lisa? You can submit an inquiry actually to Lisa, Sean, or Tal straight through the website, or Lisa's number is 646-760-8109. Well, that's all of our questions for today. I really appreciate you, Peter and Sean and Tal. Tal, you've been there 
in voice, but not in video. Is there anything you want to add back to us? Regarding the uh, taxes, uh, what's so significant about it, it's usually for new developments and other uh, luxury apartments. The difference that you can see is about 2 to $3 per square feet. It's per month. So a $10,000, a 10,000 square feet apartment can go up to between 20 to $30,000 per month just on taxes. Here you have the taxes and the common charges combined into one. And you also get a small deductible on, on the payment. So you have a huge leverage here of paying much less than anybody around you is paying a lot more in a brand new apartment. Good point. Thanks, Tal. And actually, along those lines, we did just get another question from Joshua. As a co-op, are there any potential issues related to the co-op approval of the winning bidder? We've had, you know, a long relationship with the co-op. So I think the short answer is uh, yes. The you know, as all co-ops uh, are run. Um, you know, there, there would be uh, an interview, uh, uh, which would, I think, would lead to uh, a successful kind of end. Uh, the co-op board is very progressive. They've been very, very supportive. Um, uh, they meet frequently uh, and they meet kind of decisively. They're, they, they don't really tend to waffle. So we've had, uh, and we've had lots of experiences with lots of different flavors of um condo and co-op board. So uh, I can, I, you know, I, I can't, uh, I, I imagine it'll be a very smooth process. And I know the terms of the contract give some more specifics about the co-op approval. So if you're really investigating, look at the contract and diligence and talk with Lisa about that as well. Well, I know one thing for sure, whoever ends up owning the property is going to have one of the most iconic properties in the world. Um, it's been such a pleasure to work on this assignment and Peter and Sean and Tal getting to know you all. And we look forward to really finding that owner and doing a great job for our clients in a few days here. Now, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking about it. Thank you all for joining me and everyone have a great rest of the afternoon. If you have interest, inquire to us, go to conciergeauctions.com and see more about the property um, and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to publishing the success here in the next few days.